Hello and welcome to the New York Rangers podcast in partnership with Inside the Ring. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside your co-host, Shragi. We'll be talking with our guest, Jay Fresh, today. He's our guest for the show. He's going to come on and talk about the Rangers 5v5 problems analytically, specific Rangers players who are growing analytically or who are digressing, and also as well as other players from other teams that, you know, do they analytically make sense as additions. We'll be talking to him about all that, but first a quick word from our show sponsor, and then we'll get right to it. And now a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines for their 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. And we are back. We're with Jay Fresh. How's it gone? Not too bad. Just watch the Penguins win. So uh, feeling pretty good. <laughs> so um, yeah, obviously the one time I want Carolina to win, uh, they don't. Yeah, that was a pretty bad fail. So we wanted to bring you on in regards to, obviously everyone knows, it's, not, it's common knowledge that the Rangers 5v5 has been pr- pretty abysmal. It's been pretty bad. I don't know how this team keeps on winning. They just find ways to win. If it's just Sturkin, Fox, etc. So what is your take on the Rangers 5v5? Like what's, what's going on there? Well, I think that they have been playing a very risk averse style of game and it's not the type that really lends itself to amazing 5v5 results. Uh, You know, you look at the system that Gallant has brought in and how he has them playing it reminds me a lot of what the uh, Vancouver Canucks have been playing for the past couple of years, which the, the basic philosophy of what the Canucks have did under Travis green was that they, they didn't have a lot of confidence in the skill level of the players on the roster. And so what they would do would be to try to slow down the game as much as possible offensively, uh, dump the puck in, uh, try to forecheck, try to create off of extended cycle possessions, you know, try to get, uh, passes going across the slot if possible, but kind of everything coming from an in-zone philosophy uh, and really not creating much of anything off the rush. And one of the side effects of that style for the Canucks and one of the reasons that they struggled so much defensively was that they would have all these forwards who were deep in the offensive zone for checking. And then when a turnover happened, opponents would be able to get numbers going the other way. Um, and that was something that I was pretty critical of the Canucks for in the past couple seasons. One of the reasons I wasn't confident that the team would be able to contend under Travis Green. And the Rangers have pretty much replicated that entirely this season. You know, I'm, I'm looking at some some tracks numbers. So, you know, manual, fancy, extra detailed stats. You know, the Rangers, they're 29th in rush shots this season. They're 12th in cycle shots, which tells you a lot about how they're preferring to create offense. Um, you know, they're entering the zone with possession, you know, the 30th ranked uh, amount of time in the league, which means that they're just dumping the puck in constantly trying to chase it down. Uh, and if you look at how things are turning out defensively, it's much the same thing that you saw in Vancouver a couple of years ago. You know, they're giving up the second most rush chances in the league, the fourth most chances off carries, fourth most rebounds. You know, there's really not a lot of good stuff happening at five on five with this team other than the contributions of a couple star players and, you know, a couple shooting performances that are helping them out, uh, which really puts a lot of pressure on 
the goaltending to bail them out and the special teams. And, and both of those have been there, which is why I think they've been succeeding this season. But yeah, the, the, the fundamentals of the five on five game are still pretty shaky. So what would you say, like, obviously this is a pretty loaded question, but if someone were come to you and say, how does the Rangers fix this five V five? Because everything else for them is going pretty solid. Their penalty kill, power play, goaltending, it's going really solid. So if they get their five V five somewhat together, you know, they could, they could be a, a pretty, like a pretty dangerous team. So I know it's a very, very, you know, loaded question, but how can the Rangers, you know, get a bit better 5v5? Is it additions? Is it within the organization? I think it's both. You know, I, I think that there are ways, you know, I don't think that the way that they're playing right now with the roster that they have is going to give them a lot of five on five success. And I think that they should probably trust the skill of their players a little bit more and, maybe try to turn up the tempo a bit um, just because the results clearly are not working out for them right now at 5v5, whether it's scoring chances or goals. Um, but I think that there's no doubt that there is going to have to be some kind of outside help. And especially with all the cap space the team has, I think they do have an obligation to get a little bit ambitious and, and try to figure out how to work out the depth of this lineup. Because, you know, like I said, the way that the Canucks were playing, the reason they were doing it was because they didn't have trust in especially the bottom half of their lineup uh, to play the game in a way that, you know, even while being up-tempo could be successful. Um, And, you know, you look at the bottom of the Rangers lineup, I think it's fair to understand why Gallant would look at this team in a similar way, which I think places a pretty big responsibility on Chris Drury to go out and find more talented players who can maybe start to gain the confidence of the coach and, and allow him to play a more up-tempo style. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, whenever I watch these games and I, you know, they, they do this dump and chase style, it, it frustrates me many times. And I, and I almost feel like at a certain point, some of these players are going to get frustrated. I mean, with the way it plays, this, is this downgrading the way the players are, are reacting to this type of offense where, you know, it's not exactly the speed or the type of transition offense they may like. You need a lot of buy-in when you play a style like the Rangers are playing. Like you need the players to really be committed to it and you need to have the guys who are able to play it effectively. Like you look at teams that do play a heavily dump and chase style that are successful. Uh, You're talking about teams like Carolina. Like Carolina is, is such a dump and chase team. Like they are really one of the, one of the least rush oriented teams in the league. Um, and they've been successful with it. Uh, the Penguins, to a lesser extent, are the same way. They're a hugely forechecking focused team. Uh, and they've both been able to have success, even if they haven't in the past handful of years won a Stanley Cup. And the reason for it is that they have a combination of, you know, they have the bodies to do it. They have the players who can chase down pucks with speed and and keep that tempo up, even when they're just chasing down dumped pucks. Um but also they have the commitment coming from the coach, you know, like people always talk about Brendan Moore and Sullivan as being right. two of the most motivational coaches and, and, uh, you know, both guys that players will run through a wall for, which is essentially what you have to do if you're, you know, constantly just engaging in puck races. Um, you know, I do have a couple, a couple maybe bits of skepticism about the, whether or not that kind of dump and chase system can 
you know, it, it really asks a lot of players, especially in the playoffs. Like you, when you're constantly having to chase down loose pucks, I can see it wearing out players and, and becoming an issue. But we have seen teams like the Lightning, for example, essentially did play a dump and chase system for the past two Stanley Cup rounds. But they're they had better players. players for that. Right. They you did. Know, I... They did. And their their star players weren't like they had the, right. the top end of the lineup. were playing a very controlled, very rush focused game, maybe a bit of cycling. Um, but the bottom part of their lineup was playing a really strong dump and chase game. But because they had guys like Yanni Gord and Blake Coleman, they could play that. Um, and, you know, the Rangers, Barclay Goodrow was part of that, too. He's a good four checker. But, you know, looking down the lineup, I don't see the biggest speedsters or necessarily the ones who are able to take those opportunities and turn them into great chances. Right. Which brings me which which brings me something to like uh, uh, to, to something I've always wanted is that, you know, the Rangers have always had this speed that Haglin, that Hayes, that that people that were speedsters, so-called. Um, and that's where I'm trying to figure out where Gallant is getting this idea when he came into this to this team, where that speedster is. I, did he think that, you know, guys like Lafarnay and Kako were going to do that? I, I mean, mean the they, they're not known for that. Prider and Zibanejad. Right. I mean, they're not we're not a fast team. Where in the world did he think he's applying on his this offense to a team that's not like that? Or is analytically this just something that he found that he would succeed with this team? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, 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 that would be something that I think only Gallant really would have the answer to uh, if whether he because, again, you know, with Vancouver, they weren't a particularly fast team either. Uh, and they didn't have defensemen who were really capable of dealing with odd man rushes the other way. Um, but they still ran it because, you know, I think it's fair to expect that they they looked at that lineup. They saw a lot of physical, relatively low skilled players and made the calculation that it would be better off to play a style that maximized, you know, their physicality and, and maybe their, their lesser offensive ability uh, than one that would really expose it. Um, and I think that was a mistake. And I think it is one of the reasons that he is not still the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if looking at the guys that he had on his roster, if Gallant made a similar calculation basically thinking okay like we're gonna run this team like the lightning we'll have the panarin line and and the zibanejad line they can play a more up-tempo style uh whereas the bottom part of the lineup is going to be pure dump and chase um and you know i i just i i don't think that the bottom half of the rangers lineup is really comparable to the uh lightning's bottom six or you know, even the the Penguins or the Hurricanes. I think they have a lot more depth. So it is really asking a lot of your top players to carry the team offensively in a way that I think you'd prefer not to have to have them do. So regarding Panarin, there was a report a day ago, a couple of days ago, that Panarin's might not be comfortable playing in Gallant system since he plays more of a, you know, risky passing game while Gallant is like, no, not a lot of risks, just dump and chase. Um do you see is Panarin analytically? Are you seeing a bit of a transgressive transgression because of the new style, which doesn't really fit his mold? Well, Panarin's underlying numbers have definitely fallen off in the past two seasons. Um, I mean, in nineteen twenty, I thought he should win the Hart Trophy, uh, him or or Hellebuck. So you know, I'm I'm coming from a place of being super super high on him. 
the numbers have undoubtedly dipped uh, in terms of his underlying impacts. I will say, I mean, his his passing is still, you know, among the best in the league. I, I think easily a top five playmaker uh, in hockey. Um, you know, with guys like Panarin, when you have somebody who's so skilled with the puck as he is, I, I think that those types of players almost have to exist outside of whatever system you're running. Um, and, you know, if, if anybody's been creating rush chances uh, on this team, it has been Panarin. Uh, and, you know, so so I, I think to a certain extent, I'm sure that he's probably getting tired of hearing that he should be dumping the puck in a lot. But if you look at how the chances are coming for him, I feel like he has at least been able to break out of that mold a bit. It just is probably pretty frustrating for him. But yeah, I mean, in an ideal situation, if you want to run this style of team, it would have to be kind of a Tampa Bay style thing where you have, you know, Panarin is obviously your your Kucherov equivalent. You know, he can do what he feels he needs to do to to succeed. And, and hopefully he can commit defensively and things like that to, to cover for for other elements and, and you want to have him with, you know, I thought that him and Strom and Kako were kind of a really good trio in terms of their skill sets. You know, Kako, I think had last year really kind of showed that he was well suited to playing kind of a puck retrieval style of game where he could really support his line mates in a way that he hadn't in his, in his rookie season. You know, I think that he can play that, that puck retrieving role and then kind of give Panarin and Strom space to do things. But you know, you basically want that system to operate the way Panarin wants it to operate. As long as he's willing to commit to coming back defensively and playing hard, I, I don't think you want to shoehorn a guy like Panarin into a system that doesn't allow him to take the risks that he needs to. Right. A hundred percent, especially since, uh, you know, Panarin's a person we're really focusing on. And I, I almost feel like we, when we were discussing like the gradings from you know, by the all-star break. And in general, we kept mentioning that Panarin's play has been down since from last year, especially, uh, you know, he, now he, ha- now he seems to be finding something, but again, I just feel like this offense is not something he would be, he would be succeeding in. Um, so really in a sense, the, the answer here to, to most of this five on five is to really not play this type of offense yet. We know he's not changing that being that that is so, that we know that he's going to be playing this type of offense. Um, do you feel like there's a certain player out there that would boost this the most? Like he would be good in this offense. Um, do you feel the Rangers should be going all out to fix this five on five? Or do you feel it's more uh, that, you know, we'll get Kako back and uh, we have to just try to clean up our play on these type on this type of offense? Well, you know, I think that there is no doubt that there is going to have to be some kind of external answer, you know, who that external answer is, is, is kind of tough to say, I know the Rangers do have a a decent amount of cap space, uh, but, you know, especially with how the market has, I think been closing down quite a bit in the past couple of weeks, it's, it's a little, you know, we keep hearing about guys getting taken off the market and not coming onto it. That is a little concerning. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I think, I feel like they could just generally just try to fill in, gaps on their roster even if it's not the greatest players in the world like even if you take guys like cal yarncroft for example just kind of serviceable players uh who can slot in that would be good but you know if you want something a little bit more upside there are certainly players out there like you're talking your guys like andrew Kopp, uh max domi even you know he's he's not a good defensive player 
Um, but I think he does have something in the tank that he can contribute, especially in transition that, that the Rangers could use. You know, I, people keep talking about uh, Jake DeBrusque as the guy who's available. I think he could add a little bit of scoring punch for them uh, if he was able to play with a, a, a good playmaker, which I don't know whether that's something he would really get the opportunity to do in, in New York, but, but still he's, he's a skilled guy who's on the market. Um, and then, you know, people keep talking about JT Miller. I know people are, are making a lot of connections between JT Miller and, and New York right now. Uh, I, I don't know whether, you know, he's going to be so expensive. It really seems like they're, they're going to be asking for the farm for him. So it might not be a kind of player that they can really swing, but, but we'll see if, if that's what they decide to do. But I, I think w- what my inclination would be is that they really need to focus on solidifying their depth and, and making sure that there is some kind of offensive, offensive upside down there, because they're, they're definitely putting a lot of pressure on Zabanajad and Kreider and Panarin right now. Uh, and and they're massively losing their minutes when they're not on the ice. What do you what is um Kreider? Is there anything that Kreider's doing differently this year uh analytically that's translating the reason why he's doing so much better or is it maybe Gallant's system is perfect for him? Like wh- what's going on there? Yeah, I mean Kreider has always been with with very few exceptions a player who has looked very good analytically. Uh, and I, I think that the, the, the extension was a concerning thing just for the, the general reasons that you would be concerned about an extension that carries a player through his thirties. But in terms of how he was actually playing, you know, he was, I think, right back to being a very strong first line player last season. And, and this year, obviously the, the pucks have been going in at a pretty crazy level. Uh, you know, we'll see how he ends the season. Um, but in terms of his underlying play, you know, you've always pretty much been able to know what you're going to get from Chris Kreider, which is just a lot of great opportunities in tight, uh, you know, using his speed, recovering pucks, you know, basically doing exactly the kinds of stuff that you would want him to do as part of that Gallant system with maybe a little bit of extra ability to create chances off the rush. So I, I, I think that he's certainly having one of the best seasons of his career, if not the best season of his career. Um, and, and it does make sense given how this team is playing, but he's also a guy who I've always looked at uh, very positively in terms of his ability to play uh, a very straightforward kind of game, but a very effective one too. Especially his deflections on, on those power plays, which I think is most of his, that's most of his scoring, right? That's yeah. Which is, I mean, that's the thing is that the deflections are always where you could say, okay, like, you know, maybe that's not going to be super sustainable. Like a couple of years ago, I think Gabriel Landeskog scored a crap load of goals off of deflections. <laughs> and then for the, for the past couple of years, he hasn't scored nearly as many goals, but in, you know, it's, it, he's always been pretty reliable at that. He's always been a great power play asset. Um, and, and I think it's very good news for the Rangers that he has been able to even take a, a step up, but even if he was just still playing the way that he was last year, then I think they would be in good shape. So is that considered a shot on goal or a pass when it comes to stat wise? Uh, by the defenseman or by by, by the whoever's sending the puck to the net. So, yeah. So the guy. So it would be. A, a, I mean, they get an assist for it, but they wouldn't get a shot attempt. It would be the attempt would be on behalf of Kreider. So when you go to uh, um, X goals per game, that would not be included in X goals. Uh, for the defenseman, it wouldn't be for the. 
for so, Kreider, it would be. So really the numbers of the fact that the Rangers are very low in that category doesn't say much about their play, really. Because that's uh, like a key of their play is that is that deflection play. Well, if the deflection play is getting to the net, then it would be a very positive play. I, I, I think right. you just have to see it as, as like it is – it is functioning as an assist. Like once the once the shot has come from the point, if it gets deflected by the player, then I mean, in terms of expected goals, they're gonna it's gonna be a much value much more valuable chance as measured by expected goals than if it was just a point right. shot. Are, are you? I know that Jacob's not into it because he he believes that this is not a great number to look at. But I was actually very curious. You know, you being an analytical person, how much do you look at plus minus, or you're not at all looking at that? I don't look at it. Okay. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I just, I just want to make Jacob feel good over there because he, every time I, I bring I up, this, oh, this guy's a plus exist. five, he, he shuts me down. No, so the, the, the thing about plus minus is that it just, it, it takes a whole lot of things that are really far out of a player's control. And then on top of that, it adds a bunch of really weird arbitrary rules uh, that don't make any sense. Uh, so just fundamentally the idea that a player should, be credited or penalized for how his goalie plays uh, doesn't make any sense to me because um, you know we, we have we have evidence that players don't really exert that much influence on how their team's goalies play uh, and so you know if you have the, a player having the exact same season but he's playing in front of Shesterkin instead of playing in front of Grubauer then plus minus has failed to do his job of, of letting you know you know, what his impact on the game has been. Uh, and, and then once you add on all the weird little rules where if you're on the ice for a shorthanded goal, you get a minus, you know, that means that players who play on the power play are going to be unnecessarily penalized. Uh, well, players who play shorthanded are going to get a bonus. Uh, there's all the stuff with empty nets and stuff. Yeah, it, it really is one of those stats that is, it, it's attempting to vaguely do, I think, what, more modern advanced stats are better at uh so i i don't put stock into it perfect yeah no that's i keep my dog um so what i wanted to ask is uh ava of our writing staff and inside the rings mentioned to me which i thought over is possibly very true nemeth of course has not been the greatest signing uh for the rangers like this whole year has been abysmal for him his defense i don't know what analytics say just i test wise he's just been abysmal it's just been terrible he keeps on pushing players into his own goalie um i but i've noticed over the past week or two or maybe three weeks he's been no i'm not counting like yeah he had a goal last night a weird reverse brian brian leach 1994 type goal uh but is analytics showing that he's you know getting better because it seems to me that he seems to be getting, you know, his game on. He seems to being able to, you know, be the defenseman we wanted him to be in the first place. Yeah, so I checked that out because you did mention it to me before the show. I, you know, the numbers are better more recently. Like, I think I looked at, like, since February 1st or something, and and they were they were certainly better than they were because what they were, you know, until about a month ago was, like, league worst. Like, it actually was kind of crazy how badly he and – uh, Lundqvist were doing um, relative to what the rest of the Rangers team was doing. Like they were just getting absolutely wrecked every night, basically. Like I think they had like a 36% expected goal share at five on five, which is just off the charts bad. Um, you know, he still ranks very low. Like I'm looking at his 
you know, his wins above replacement this season. He's in the second percentile in the league, um, which is it's, it's disappointing to me because I will say like he actually looked pretty good for a couple of teams in the past couple of years. Like he, when he played with Dallas, he was okay. When he played with Detroit, they had him on like the top pair and he was actually doing pretty well. Uh, on Colorado, he obviously had a, a rough playoff series playing with Sam Girard last year, but uh, overall he looked pretty good. And so I was actually kind of pointing to him in the off season when I would do Rangers shows, I would say Patrick Nemeth is a guy who I think, the Rangers should probably target for that bottom pair of left defense spot. And clearly the fit just has not been there generally. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that he's, that he's looked better uh, more recently. Hopefully he can keep that up because uh, I, I never like to be wrong about things. Um, yeah, no, but, has. yeah. What the, what the stats say is that he at least has been a lot better than what he had been before, but also that that is not saying that much. Okay. Yeah, no, because I, I, I've seen over the past couple of weeks, people mentioning, you know, Nemeth has been looked much better. I'm like, I, I noticed it, obviously, besides that goal last night, you know, he has looked a bit better. Um, analytically, I, I know we want to discuss Rangers players in-house, but I want to ask you one player in regards to Ricard Raquel. What do you think of him and if the Rangers ever would acquire him, do you believe that's a good fit? Is he just a one-dimensional player for people who don't know exactly who he is or like his strengths? What it, what would you say about it? So Raquel has been, so I wrote about Raquel last year when he was theoretically supposed to get traded and then didn't uh, for elite prospects. Um, he is, he's a remarkably consistent player, which you wouldn't think just by looking at his point totals. But basically the deal with him is that he is, he's a decent offensive player. He's not a very good defensive player. Um, and when it, it, he, he's a very inconsistent scorer, like even just from season to season, like I think he's good at getting open around the net. And I think that when he can get pucks where the goalie is moving, he has a real knack for being able to pick corners and, and find space in them. But he's not a guy, I think, who can really create on his own. Isn't uh, that a guy that the, that, that, that the Rangers really have with, like, Kreider and Zibanejad? Like, like, what happens if you put Raquel with Panarin and Strom? Like, you think that's a good fit? Yeah, so I think I think Raquel is – like so when Raquel had his his biggest success, it was when he was playing with Ryan Getzlaff. Like, when, when Getzlaff was – not in his prime, but I'd say probably three or four years ago when Getzlaff was still like a, a proper number one playmaking center. That was when Raquel was really doing well because Raquel was, was speedy. He was a good skater. He was good at getting into dangerous areas. And then Getzlaff had the skill to get him passes where the goalie was moving and Raquel could pick them apart. Uh, if you play Raquel with with Panarin, who I think is a, a similarly strong playmaker who is who's especially good at kind of sending those pucks across the crease or across the slot then i think that you would have similar results so if you're looking for raquel to be a guy to make the bottom six better i would be pretty skeptical about that because i don't think he's much of a creator but if you are looking for somebody who can play on the right side with one of the team's better playmakers specifically panarin i think uh, then he would be a good fit, I think. Uh -huh. I, I, I actually, I, to turn it, you know, from going about all these forwards and defensemen, 
How impressed have you been in Shesterkin's plays? I mean, he's facing a lot of shots per game. The Rangers give up a nice amount of shots per game. Smokeless all uh, over again. Yeah. I mean, are, are, are you impressed by him? Do you feel like there is someone I, – I, I know Rangers fans will kill me for saying this. Is there someone better than him out there? Or is he the best goalie in hockey from your point of view? Well, I mean, I've been I've been banging the the Shesterkin for Heart Trophy drum for a while. Let's go! Now. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, I, I'm extremely impressed by him. Uh, obviously, he hasn't had the best past two games there, which is. Uh, I, I mean, that's really the only thing that give, that's giving me hesitation right now is just the fact that I I have been burned by goalies so often before, and it really only takes you know, a, a bad month to, to really send those numbers back to earth. And and who knows with goalies, if that kind of thing is going to happen. But I mean, based on the body of work so far this season, I, I think that he's pretty clearly a, the, the main heart trophy contender. I mean, if, if he was playing even average, like not even like poorly, but if he was playing average, I don't think the Rangers are, are comfortably in a playoff spot at all. And, and I think they'd probably be on the outside, which speaks volumes about just how good he's been uh, and how much he has been able to kind of single-handedly cover up. Uh, Cause a lot of the time you look at a stat, like, like say a percentage, um, you know, one of the reasons that more analytics people tend to move away from say a percentage is because it rewards players or goalies who play behind strong team defenses, because when you're, playing behind a strong defensive team you're facing a lot more shots from the perimeter or from the outside uh which is going to bump up your save percentage you know for example like you look at guys who played for uh the islanders the past couple seasons you know they have great save percentages because the aisles their whole system was to completely clog up the inside of the ice and force teams to take shots from the perimeter um but the rangers aren't that team you know they they allow a lot of shots for sure but they also allow really really good ones uh, and, and that forces Shesterkin to do a lot. And he has put up, you know, even in terms of save percentage, you know, already one of the best performances we've seen uh, from a starting goalie in the past, you know, 50, 60 years. So at this point, I would say he is he would easily the Vesna uh, front runner and, and he would be my personal heart front runner. But, you know, with goaltending more than skaters, I think, there is the chance for stuff to get undone in the in the last half of the season or the last part of the season and and it really will be up to Shesterkin to 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 make it through and and prove that he's the guy right i mean cuz whenever i whenever i speak to people I, I was speaking to my father-in-law I was speaking to a couple of people about oh would you uh, have Shesterkin as the heart and they're like no no way and i'm like why austin matthews and i think I keep people saying, are sometimes mixing the heart with the art Ross. Like sometimes people are yeah. oh, got the most points. Exactly. He's the most valuable, but well, that's kind of. Yeah. Well, my, my real question to, to you, Jack is, is, is I know Austin Matthew leads in goals and he scores like a beast, but is he that good? Or is he just a scorer in the sense of he's good at putting in the goals, but team wise MVP, not exactly. Uh, no, if it were, if in any other situation i think matthews would be a pretty easy mvp guy like he's he is legitimately you know he's he's definitely the second best forward in the league in my mind and increasingly i think he is making a case to be on that level with Connor mcdavid which which i think nobody would have 
would have thought would even be possible uh, just a couple of years ago. But yeah, I mean, he undoubtedly is the best scorer in the game right now. Just his, his ability both to get to dangerous areas of the ice and create chances in tight, uh, but then also just finish them, uh, you know, and his wrist shot obviously is, is just insane. Um, but it's not just that, you know, he is, I think an underrated passer as well, especially kind of in dangerous areas. He can find his teammates super well. Uh, and his defensive play has has really come to the fore. You know, for a couple of years, I think he's been building up a defensive skill set where he has become really good at battling for pucks, really good at stealing pucks, uh, really responsible in terms of not turning the puck over. Um, and this season, I think, has seen all of that defensive work come together. Uh, where he is now somebody that you can reliably say is, is kind of a top end two way forward in the league, uh, which which wasn't true in the past. So it, it's really difficult for me to see a guy who's maybe scoring 63 goals or 64 goals or something this season if he keeps up at this pace uh, and is putting up that defensive impact that he is and, and not have him as the MVP. And, and really the only thing that would hold me back from that would be a goalie having arguably the greatest goaltending season in the history of the sport and so far that's what Shesterkin is doing arguably um so the question will basically just be like which one of these guys is going to make it all the way to the end and and not falter uh and it's it's a lot tougher for a goalie to do that than a than a forward to do that so uh we'll see what happens but it, I think it's a it's one of the better battles that we've had in the past couple of years so I had a question in regards to I don't know if this that exists but do completed passes percentages exist in analytics or? So like, there's, I was wondering yeah, so, so there's, there's kind of, there's different worlds in analytics. Like there's, you know, like analytics, a lot of people who are on the outside, they just, you know, they think of it as being just there's analytics, but there's, there's different sources and people don't have access to all of the same sources. So, a lot of the stuff that you'll see online would be kind of what we'd call like public analytics. So that's stuff that is basically derived from the data that the NHL puts out uh, during and, and after every game. So that, you know, where shots come from, you know, who's on the ice for everything, all that kind of stuff. Then there are, you know, kind of public private analytics where, you know, there's this guy, uh, Corey Schneider, uh, who has a project called all three zones where he watches you know, hundreds of games every year and manually tracks, uh, you know, it's something crazy, like 40 different data points throughout those games. So we're, we're all, which player is doing this? And so that's where, you know, that's why I can tell you, you know, certain players are doing especially well off the rush or creating chances across the slot or things like that, or, or entering the zone with possession. You know, those are the kinds of stats that he tracks. And so those are available to the public and you can, and you can pay for those stats. And, and I do, and uh, it, it, really, really helps create better insights uh, into what exactly is going on. And then there's a level beyond that, which would be what I would call like proprietary or private data. So there are companies that essentially have, you know, almost like where a warehouse full of people who are watching games and tracking every tiny minute thing that happens. Um, You know, staff leads is an example uh, the the one that, that John Chaka founded, uh, sport logic that you often see on TV and, and broadcast and stuff. Uh, and those, they, they sell the, their data to uh, 
like broadcasters to, to media and then also to teams. Like that's the kind of data that like teams are really looking into is that kind of super, super detailed data. So that would include things like percentage of successful passes. Now I last season had access to a bit of that data through a service that I uh, use called Instat, um, which did include passing percentage um, or percentage of, of passes that were successful. Uh, so for example, like I'm looking in, in Matthew's case, he ranked in the 97th percentile last year in the percentage of his passes that were successful. Um, but it's, it's something that I have from last year, but it's not something that I have from this year. And it's not something that, you know, 99.9% of hockey fans would be able to access. Isn't that also a player efficiency, by the way? Isn't that involved in it, uh, completed passes? Uh, I mean, it, it's all... All of these kinds of stats, I think they're they're part of a larger picture of how you can evaluate a player. Um, you know, so there, I don't think there really is a, there's no player efficiency stat like there is in in basketball in hockey, just because there's I think there's so many little tiny events that that you could consider being efficient. Um, it really is, especially you know the way I think about it is that I, I want to have as much in front of me as possible when I'm thinking about a player or writing about a player um, that allowed me to form as detailed and thorough a picture of that player as possible. So, you know, if I'm looking at, at Matthews and I'm, I'm thinking about his two-way impact, you know, the, the fact that he is completing all these passes and that, you know, he, he ranked first in the league last year in terms of his, uh, his, you know, avoiding turnovers per passes, uh, which is a great sign that, that one of the reasons that he's, he's, increasing his defensive impact is that he's not turning the puck over um you know you you want to get as much in front of you as you can so that you can form a full picture of a player uh and and that helps you kind of figure out what exactly you're looking for and then when you're talking about team fit and things like that like for guys like Raquel for example you know you can start to to really try to make connections between who might play well with who or, or who might work well on what system so the reason why I brought up the uh, passing percentage, I feel that Panarin's passing, like the completed passes, has, would have dropped this year because a lot of other teams are predicting his passing now because he's more hesitant to shoot, which is the, why a lot of people are telling him to shoot a lot more because not only do you get a lot of you know better chances by shooting, you also open yourself up for more passes because now the defense is going to expect you to shoot more. Uh, that's why I feel like a lot of plays this year where which would have went through last year is not going through this year because people know that he's going to pass it. Is it analytically also speaking that uh, like are the analytics showing that also his passing percentage has dropped as well as his shooting? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be able to tell you that uh, because I, I don't have the passing percentage data this year. I can tell you that last year uh, he already ranked uh, in the 64th percentile in terms of his percentage of passes completed, which means that, you know, he was, he was above average in terms of that level of efficiency, but uh, he, he certainly wasn't anywhere near the top. Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, like you said, is that he's, he makes risky plays, you know, he makes crazy slot passes that, you know, at, at a higher rate than almost anybody in hockey. And if you're putting pucks into dangerous areas like the slot, then, it's much more likely that they're going to get picked off. Um, and, and that's a trade-off you have to make. Uh, in, in terms of Panarin, you know, I think you can you can make fair arguments that making yourself more of a threat to shoot might open up those passing lanes a little bit better. Um, 
you know, as it stands, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, he's, he's like top three in the NHL and in, in passes across the slot, um, you know, 98th percentile in, in passes to the point, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, you know, he really is creating a lot off passes where I would hesitate to say that that was a, a particular issue uh, this season. But at the same time, you know, efficiency would always be an improvement. And I feel like if you look at things like turnovers and stuff, the the turnover counts that you get from the NHL aren't really accurate. But I think you can connect the dots. You know, if you're watching the games and you're noticing that he is turning the puck over a lot on these passes and you see that his defensive numbers are really poor this season, I think it's fair to connect those dots. So we asked this question to almost every person that comes on. It goes on Twitter a million times. Um, and we always ask, like, what do people consider to be the Rangers' uh, a successful season? Now, speaking to someone like you, um, I'm going to ask this differently. Um, being that stats are a very big part of a player's um, – uh, the way uh, coaches and the way scouts look at players, uh, do you feel that the Rangers – a successful season, whether they make the playoffs, second round, first round, even if they make the cup, if these numbers are down for, if the analytics are down on players, Lefarnier and Panarin and Zibanejad, do you can, what do you, would you consider to be a successful season analytically? Meaning, do you find that if a player like Lefarnier is successful and if a player like Zibanejad is thriving and Kreider seems to have taken another step, that that's good enough to set up for next season? Or do you feel like analytically you want more? Well, I, I would want the Rangers to to have a, a properly fully successful season and, and one that wasn't reliant on things like goaltending or special teams, which can always, you know, always vanish or, or always disappear. I, I mean, the, the thing with this Rangers team is that they have kind of built it intentionally or otherwise on kind of two different timelines. Like you have, you have one core, which is uh, Zabanajad, Panarin and, and Kreider. And then you have another core, which is, you know, Adam Fox and Lafreniere and, and Capo Caco. Um, and I suppose that you could add uh, Jacob uh, Truba to the first, uh, to the first group. Um, and, and what that means is that they have this kind of delicate balancing act where they, they want to, they want to, and, and almost need to win while uh, Panarin and Zabanajad and to a lesser extent Kreider are still star players because those are huge contracts that they're on. Uh, they're not going to be very easy to work around. You know, you look at Zabanajad who just signed that contract. So he's locked in for the next nine or eight years after this one, you know, he's 28 years old. He's not, he's not ancient, but we know with aging curves and stuff that, that things like that can go South pretty quickly. Um, which means the Rangers, I think, are on a pretty short timeline here to try to maximize, you know, this core that they've put together before some contradictions start showing up. And, and maybe you end up with a situation like, you know, the Flyers are in right now or, or like Dallas is in where you just the pieces don't necessarily fit together quite right, um, which is why I, I had pretty high expectations on the Rangers this season coming in. Uh, my model was was quite high on them and and had them as a as a playoff spot when not a lot of others did, um, 
so I, I would say that, you know, making the playoffs is obviously a good thing. And I don't think anybody should be upset about making the playoffs. Uh, but I would still want to see them brush up that five on five play uh, from, from now going into the dead or going into the end of the season. And then, you know, in the playoffs, I would really like to see, well, look, I'm a Penguins fan, so I'd like to see them get swept in four games uh, by Pittsburgh. But, in, in, you know, in, in if I'm being objective, what I would want to see from them would be just not having to rely on Shesterkin. Like, to, to have Shesterkin playing a lead is a bonus, but I'd want to see them be able to carry the play and see Kako and Lafreniere demonstrate that they can be high-end first, first line or, or even top six players uh in the short term uh to to really say that this thing was was a success or, or that things were going ahead of schedule even with this offense i mean the offense not is not exactly your classic nhl offense no so i guess that's i guess that's what i mean is that you know you have teams have been able to put together decent offenses even without being the deepest teams in the league like you know you look at the teams that are ahead of the rangers in terms of you know, expected goals for, I mean, like the Kings have been one of the best scoring chance creating teams in the league this year. And and I don't think people really look at that forward group with a huge amount of envy or, or wishing that they had that roster. You know, the, the Devils have also been a good offensive team this year. Uh, you know, even less exciting teams like like the, the Islanders, for example, or, you know, the, the Ducks, the Canucks, like these are the teams that rank above the Rangers in terms of their offensive scoring chance creation. Uh, you know, you can have a limited and flawed roster like the Rangers do and still be a successful five on five team. Uh, so I would want to see them even, you know, even if they went through the entire deadline and didn't make a single change, I would still want to see them do better than they are now at five on five uh, to really set the table for, you know, I, I guess I would say probably the next two years after this one are, are the best cup window that they're going to get. I'm not not necessarily that it's the last one they're going to get, but I think it's the one where the two generations of cores that this team has are going to line up the best, uh, which means I want to see them really pull it together. So regarding Jacob Truba, I know that's a bit um, of a random thing, but I, I've noticed like he came in, uh, signed a big contract, was expected to be a top shutdown defenseman. First year did not go as planned. Second year, he seemed better, but once again, not living up to that contract. I'm not saying that this year he's living up per se to that contract, but it seems that he's more involved offensively. Uh, he's shutting down the top opposition's players that we wanted him to. I know sometimes, obviously, he he's not great at quickly getting it out of the zone. I think that's one major deficiency. What do the analytics say about him this year? Um, comparison to the past two years so i i would agree that he has i mean he's he's definitely been better in the past two years than he was in that first year which i think was a real a real you know concerning point i mean that was the first year that i was really covering stuff like that and, and i was i was very skeptical that that turbo was going to be able to uh to pan out you know i think what you see this year in terms of the underlying numbers has been very good offensively like you said getting very involved uh in zone, you know, he's, he's doing the stuff that you want in terms of he's getting pucks on net. He's, uh, you know, he's making, I think, decent passes in the neutral zone uh, and, and entering uh, the zone with the puck at a decent clip. Um, 
the the thing for me that that's the concern is that his his defensive numbers. You know, you, you said he's he's playing against tough opposition, which is definitely true. Um, but I I do think that he has been one of the players that's been particularly reliant on Igor Shosturkin to to cover up some some defensive issues. Uh, you know, his his on ice. Uh, scoring chances against impact has been, has been real poor last year. I think he ranks, you know, near the bottom of the team uh, in terms of his defensive numbers. You know, I'm, I'm looking at his, his entry defense numbers from, from those track stats I was talking about, you know, I think he's having a real difficult time defending off the rush so far this year, which is something that with the, with the way the Rangers play is going to get you in some trouble. So, you know, even if he's a guy who inside the offensive zone or inside the, sorry, the defensive zone is doing the right things. I think in transition, the numbers have been a bit of an issue. So he's, he's maybe getting eaten alive off the rush a little bit, which is not really what you like to see. Um, and it's something that the Gallant system really extenuates. Ex- so I, I would be encouraged that we've at least seen, we, we've seen him kind of go back to normal, I think, compared to what he was doing when he first signed, but I would still like to see some better uh, defensive results to, to line up with the offense that he's been able to contribute. Are these very similar numbers to Kadri Miller or is it that a whole different story? Uh, So Miller, I will say he's, his defensive numbers have actually taken a big boost this year. Um, his, his offense, I think is, is still pretty limited. Um, you know, I think there's, there's good things with his puck skills that, that were decently encouraging right off the get go, but I think he struggled to really establish himself as, as a strong transition player, um, especially kind of making those first passes. Um, I think Miller, Miller also seems to struggle with defending things off the rush a bit. He plays a more aggressive game, I think on the rush than, than, uh, Truba does you know I think he's he's much more willing to kind of attack the blue line and try to shut things down uh, you know at, at the source instead of kind of waiting things out and, and letting opposing uh, defensemen get into the zone uh, but at least whatever impact he's having does seem to be a little bit more positive than it was in the past uh, and obviously you know he's taken a huge bump in terms of the role that he's playing from last year compared to this season so it, it'll remain to be seen if he can continue to to put up strong defensive results and, and we'll see how things look at the end of the season or even next season. Um, but I think you can be, you can be fairly happy with his development this year, even if I don't think it's necessarily assured that he's going to be a difference making top four defenseman moving forward. Right. So I, I know we have to go shortly, but uh, I wanted to mention a lot of people come on and say, you know, maybe Miller and Truba, they both have the same deficiencies and what you want with the def- uh, defensive pair is each one's deficiencies is the other one's strengths. And that's why, you know, it's a, it's a good defense. That's what makes a great defensive pairing is as a whole. And people have said possibly maybe putting Miller with Fox and Lindgren with Truba uh, because it seems more their those, their strengths are Truba and Miller's deficiencies. Yeah. I don't think that's crazy. I, I think you probably want to try out, some different combos, especially, I mean, I was looking and I, I wish I still had them in front of me. I closed the tab. I was looking at Adam Fox's numbers in the past month and a half. And I was kind of shocked by how poor they were. It's theorized that he might be still injured. That's what okay. That is. makes sense. I mean, you know, everyone's due to play bad hockey at some point. In right. No. Career. Yeah. Like, it's been Adam Fox. 
Adam Fox never has before. So it's not, I'm not going to get upset with him at it, but like if there was ever really a time to try out some new combinations and, and maybe see if you can get chemistry going the other way. Um, let's see if I could, let's see if I can bring up. Uh, I mean, yeah, I it's been, it's been theorized ever since he kid got injured and came back. He just hasn't looked the same offensively. He still has a bit of magic, but it just seems defensively. I mean, I saw a turnover a couple of games ago. I'm like, that is not Fox at all. Yeah. So, um, so he has, he has the worst expected goals against on the team uh, since uh, February 1st. Uh, he also is the, like by far the worst goals against, but I think he has like an on ice save percentage of like 87%. So I'm not going to ding him for that. Uh, that I guess that gets back to the, our plus minus conversation from before. Um, but yeah, it does seem like the wheels have fallen off a little bit defensively in the past little while, but I mean, Fox has always been a, a very strong defensive player. So it, it, if, like you said, there's there's a good causal explanation for it, uh, I'm not going to worry about that one too much. But uh, I, I will say, unfortunately, it does it does put a bit of a uh, put a bit of a hole in his uh, his Norris candidacy. To, to right. tell you the truth, I think we might have to we might have to take the L this year. Let uh, let Makar or Hedman go with it, and then uh, come back strong next year for uh, for Norris number two. Right. Uh, yeah, no, there was also a, a theory that also that since, like you said, there's not a lot of depth that these stars have to take a lot more on. And I just feel like it's with Lindgren, obviously, it seems that he's also banged up. Uh, but Fox, I just feel like it's either a mix of his injury or he's just man, he, he's just dragging this defensive core, like give the guy a break for a bit. Uh, Shruggy, you want to ask one last question and then we'll off? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, this is probably a good way to end it off. Um, in general, the, the Rangers have not an easy schedule coming up and they're going to have to win some games. And as well, the Rangers would like very much to get this five and five going and get this te- team boosted up. Uh, do you feel that even the Rangers as they are uh, can get there? Do you feel like these stats are turning up or do you feel they're turning down pretty much? Are these are, are things looking up at this point, even though the Rangers uh, have had problems, or do you feel like they're gonna they're not gonna head any higher than they are now? Well, I think they they definitely can get better than they are now. Uh, you know, I said this uh, a while ago that the, there were just a couple, there were like three different ways for the Rangers season to go, which is that they they either uh, uh, sorry. Either they can improve the five-on-five underlying play. Uh, Igor Shosturkin has one of the best goal seasons of all time, and, and that continues to the playoffs. Uh, or the team is going to fall apart, either in the playoffs or down the stretch here. Um, you know, I think that they have been they've been a little better. Uh, they they certainly have not been as bad as they had been previously in the past month and a half. I, I think that they have taken a decent step forward. That that I would consider to be encouraging that we are on our way to them having bumped up, but it, it really has, you know, I'm looking at their stats from, from uh, February and I'm looking at their stats from March so far. And it, it all seems to be kind of still in that, you know, near that kind of 21st to 23rd range in terms of their, their scoring chance shares, which tells me that they're still getting, beat off the rush in a similar way. And then they're still having just as much trouble creating those dangerous opportunities. Um, so I would say that there has been improvement, but there hasn't been a level of improvement that I would want to see from them to, to think that they could really make a big show of things without Shesterkin being 
Dominic Hasek 2.0. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, like, I think that they do have the pieces and the cap flexibility to improve what they're doing at five on five. Because again, there are some real bad teams uh, in terms of their roster construction that are doing better at five on five than they are right now. I mean, you know, you look at their, their performance in the last, you know, six games or so, because I'm looking at since the end of February, I mean, the Sabres are, are one spot ahead of them in terms of their expected goals for percentage. So, you know, what that tells you, does it tell you the Sabres are a better team than the Rangers? No, but it does tell you that you don't need to have a perfect roster to play at a decent level at five on five. Uh, and I think the Rangers have a, a better than decent roster, you know, on paper, especially with the star power they have. They really, they need their best players to, I think, clamp things down defensively for sure. Um, and, 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 you know, like we said, you know, Adam Fox, hopefully he can get over whatever injury is, is holding him back in that regard. Um, but hopefully, you know, the, the trade deadline can, can help things out. So we'll see what happens. And, uh, and, and, yeah, I, I mean, if they can get it together, they're obviously an extremely dangerous team, especially with their goaltending. It really is just a matter of uh, of whether they can pull it together. Okay, perfect. Um, I think we're going to wow. end it off here. Jay Fresh, uh, before I go, you want to punch in your Twitter handle, explain, you know, things you do. I know I, I yeah, I subscribed to your uh, newsletter, which is extremely, extremely interesting. Uh, you want to tell Especially us about that? Especially that Pavel Buchnevich, by the way, that, that uh, Pavel Buchnevich one. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, another episode. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's. Uh, yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at jfreshhockey. You can find my uh, stats visualizations and subscribe to them on Patreon, also at jfreshhockey. And you can read my writing uh, on the newsletter, which is the that you were talking about, the Substack um, dot jfreshhockey, and then also at uh, Elite Prospects. Uh, I write for EP Rinkside, and we'll be writing about. Uh, some interesting players coming up uh, like Chikrin and uh, JT Miller. So make sure to keep your head up for that. All righty. Thank you again. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Hopefully the Rangers could shape up before the playoffs and uh, yeah. Take care guys. Yep. Have a good one.